This podcast contains spoilers, explicit language, and is not meant for anyone younger than 13. Do not harass any of the names mentioned in this episode. Hey, how's it going? Welcome back to John vs. Film. And just uh, to get this out of the way, I'm going to just be doing both John vs. Critic and my initial thoughts. And, well, not my initial thoughts, but my likes and dislikes and all that. Like, my thoughts on John vs. Critic all in one go. I know I made that sound a lot more complicated, but really I'm just doing everything in more in one take. I, honestly, after doing the last two Mamoru Hosoda films I've recorded, it's probably going to just be a smoother experience for me overall. But anyway, with that cleaning out of the attic, I guess, I don't know what else to call it right now, that little bit of news out of the way, let's go right into my thoughts on this week's movie. And what is it? It is... Castle of Cagliostro. It's the first movie I want to talk about in our Lupin the Third, Lupin the Third month. I don't know why I wanted to sing it, but I mean, you gotta admit the Lupin the Third theme song is pretty catchy, and I feel like this is probably gonna be. Uh, since, like, since there's a lot of Loop in the Third movies, this is probably going to be, uh, I'm just going to have, like, several Loop in the Third months, but this is the first one, and what better way to start off with what is arguably the best Loop in the Third movie, I, which, I, no, like, it's not even a point of argument. Everybody, everybody who's seen Loop in the Third, right, or is, like, a Loop in the Third fan will say, well, most of them will say Cagliostro is the best loop in the third movie. It's just hands down. But uh, let me go and okay, you know, I just got to get out of this way. It's kind of difficult for me to talk about it because what has been said that, you know, that hasn't been said is, hey, you know, like everybody, like this is the one loop in the third movie that's been talked about the most. So, but hopefully I have something else to say that has not been said. Or if not, well, at least I gave it a shot. So anyway, as we have done before in this podcast, I start off with the things I like. And as going forward, I think I probably mentioned this in last month's uh, reviews. I kind of record these pretty early, you know, so it's been a while since I last record. But anyway, here we go. Five things I like, and then after, the five things I dislike. And you know what? I'm going to add one thing after, which is like an overall thought. So anyway, what did I like about Castle of Cagliostro? Well, first of all, I know this is like, Lupin the Third Castle of Cagliostro, or Lupin the Third in general, is tend to be known for its action. But what I really like about Castle Cagliostro is, like, 
the slow and more quiet moments this movie brings forward where we get to see Lupin, you know, kind of just like contemplating, you know, or thinking like, we, you know, we get that shot at the beginning, near the beginning of the movie where he's just sitting in the palace ruins, just kind of looking into the water and it stays on that shot for quite a bit. It's a nice quiet moment to show that there's something on Lupin's mind. Other than that, there's this really beautiful and touching moment where Lupin and Clarice, they have, you know, like Lupin finally infiltrates the tower and they have this really nice, again, quiet, very sweet moment where Lupin, you know, declares that he's going to steal her away from the count and he does it on a little magic trick you know a little show off it, it, it's such a beautiful moment but i think the one standout slow quiet moment is uh, i think obviously the opening credits i think it's such a great raid to start off this movie even though ironically it's sh- like it is the opposite of this movie in some ways because the opening credits is very much just Lupin and Jigen traveling to Cagliostro. But, and it plays this very soothing song, Fire Treasure. And it's a very nice song and it's very chill, very, you know, nice feeling, you know. We get, you know, some really beautiful shots and we just get to soak in the art during the, you know, credits. I like the opening credits. My favorite shot, I think, is when Lupin, or at least favorite moment is near the end of the opening credits, is when Lupin and Jigen are staring up at the stars and Lupin goes down to light a cigarette. It's, it looks so good. <laughs> I, it's, again, you know, it's very like just, just to explain. I'm not even going to try to say that word because I'm going to screw it up. But uh, but it's so opposite to the rest of the movie where most of it is e-action and comedy. Just It's like, it's the calm before the storm, essentially. And after that, you know, like most other movies, like in the Loop in the Third franchise, they tend to go the more action or comedy route, you know, where they play the classic Lupin the Third theme or some rendition of it, you know, that very high, you know, high pace, you know, action instead of uh, the quiet, serene fire treasure. It's, I think it was a great way to start this movie, you know, even though it doesn't exactly set the tone, but it also is like something to be like, this is your moment to just relax, you know, get yourself comfortable, you know. I don't know. I really liked it. My next point for what I like is the gorgeous, uh, like, this movie has some really great directing in the, you know, animation art. The anime, you know, and just great direction overall. And that's no surprise. Hayao Miyazaki is known to be one of the best anime directors out there and just great directors in general especially in animation he has 
such a keen eye for details. And he also knows how to make something very beautiful, very, you know, it, like go right into the hearts just by visuals alone. He knows to, like, he has very much an artistic eye. You know, so the art style and animation, they're beautiful. The direction is great. Like I said, again, uh, let me emphasize the details. It's, I mean, first of all, the castle layout. Miyazaki is known for his work on castles, so it's no surprise that Castle of Cagliostro is really great with its, like, little, like, its layout in general is pretty interesting. It makes for a really good location and just seeing how everything works but then you get to more smaller details like i really love seeing lupin's fiat it's being so messy inside you know where we see junk and garbage and we get to see the ashtray is literally full of jigen and lupin's cigarette buds from the trip to caliostro it's such a great it, it like really adds to the movie and there's like in the animation department there's some really you know like blinking your miss at details but they do really add uh during the car chase scene you know the famous one which i'll get to in a moment but during that chase scene we get to see you know lupin has to go up the hill and drive through you know, a bunch of trees and bushes, and through, you know, the Jigen and Lupin have to break the windshield, and as they're driving through, the branches, you know, leaves and everything is just hitting, you know, them, and there's just this one moment where a branch really quickly hits Lupin, causing Lupin, you know, head to go back, and then Lupin just quickly snaps for if you pause right there, you get to see the red mark that hit Lupin's face with the tree branch. You know, it's very quick, but it's such a nice detail to show that, yeah, there is no windshield and they're not immune to getting hit by the stuff. It's really great detail. Uh, another, you know, even the acting, though, like the character acting. Seeing Lupin notice the spy in the restaurant, I thought that was, oh, really great because he didn't notice, you know, like, okay, so we, we could tell that the spy was watching him, like, even though our focus, so in the restaurant, Lupin and Jigen, they're analyzing the ring that Clarice dropped or gave to Lupin in the movie. You know, they're analyzing it. You know, Lupin's trying to read the inscription. There's a spy from the castle that's sitting in the table right next. So our focus, uh, you know, is on Lupin and Jigen. But we see, you know, the camera is also keeping, you know, that guy's face, you know, at least in the view of us. You know, and when... You know, we get to see his, like, face change as soon as he sees the ring. Like, he does a little squint. And Lupin actually notices before he leaves, you know, the table. He, you know, 
as he's talking to the waitress, you know, he does a little quick glance at the spy before the spy gets up. You know, it, it shows it's those little tiny moments I really appreciate. And it's when creators do such a good job at details, when they pay attention to the details, that's what makes for a great movie. Um, but again, just, you know, and besides the details, I just really want to touch up on the art style again, real quick. It's just such gorgeous art. The, there is a distinct color palette being used throughout the movie. There's a lot of greens, a lot of blues. You see that throughout the entire movie, you know, like the background art is just absolutely gorgeous. And it's uh, it's so good. <laughs> Seriously, just go watch it. If you have a 4K Blu-ray player or anything that can play 4K Blu-rays and you know, have a 4K TV, seriously get this movie on 4K. It is so crisp. It is mm, chef's kiss. Mm, chef's kiss. But, you know, and like I really... One of the standout shots, you know, or visual, you know, moments, you know, where we see a lot of blue is when we get to see Goemon's real introduction. It's raining, you know, we get to see Goemon is being carried by, you know, a man, you know, a horse wagon and right, but passing by this horse wagon, wagon is a bunch of vehicles and cars and we see geek. Oh, Goemon facing away from the vehicles kind of show that Goemon is kind of a man out of time so to speak like he's just out of touch you know more connected to the past but it's also just so beautiful with the you know general blue palette the rain just hitting Goemon and the vehicles it it gives you know a very stoic you know sort of vibe to it and other than that, you know, when it, like, Miyazaki does a really good job at highlighting the beauty of nature as well. Just the reflections off the water, like the sun reflecting off the water, the hills, the valley, the clouds in the sky. It all just looks beautiful. And I can't stop gushing about it. Uh, but let me get on to my third point, so I'm not rambling on too much. Uh, so my third point is the action. I really love the action in this movie. It's probably some of the best action ever, you know, portrayed in an anim animation movie that I've ever seen. You know, example, I've mentioned this already, the first car chase, which rumor has it, that's what inspired Steven Spielberg with Indiana Jones, like Castle of Cagliostro, and this car scene inspired Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And Indy, you know, with Indy's own car chase scene. I don't know how true that rumor is. Some of the times, sometimes, you know, you hear these rumors, but there's no site, there's no official source for them. So you don't know, but I would love to believe that's true. You know, and I think, shit, that's fucking cool. 
didn't mean to really make that sound like it rhymed, but hey, I'll roll with it. But no, that car chase scene is very great. I mean, first of all, it starts off, you know, right after Lupin, you know, and Jigen, they're kind of just fixing the tire. You know, they're kind of relaxing, look up the sky, and then we see Clarice in a car being chased by a bunch of goons. And then as soon as the song kicks, you know, the da-da-da, da-da-da. Da, 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 da. You know, it, it, it's like all high action. It's the direction that the choreography, I should say, in that car chase scene is really well done. I'm like, you know, as we get to see, you know, the shots being taken, Lupin dodging out of the way with the Fiat, uh, having to go up that hill. The details, like I mentioned before, Jigen having to aim for the car, you know, just, and also the oncoming traffic, it's very good, you know, action scene. And another standout action scene is the clock tower fight at the end, where Lupin is facing off against uh, Count Cagliostro. And what's really, you know, and it is such a great action scene, Even if you haven't seen this movie, there is a chance that you have seen this rendition of a fight as this, the fight in the clock tower with, you know, just going around the gears and the giant clock tower, having to use that as, you know, to ground footing, you know, it's either their, the character's advantage or disadvantage. It It is known to inspire at least two Western media. The first one being the Great Mouse Detective. That, uh, eh, you know that ha- I haven't seen the Great Mouse Detective in years, you know, very long time. But it's known that there's a fight in Clock Tower between the Sherlock Holmes mouse and the Moriarty mouse or rat. See, like I said, I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but I know there's a Clock Tower fight scene, you know, just like that. You know, that's similar to Castle of Cagliostro's. But I think the more... But another... I I don't even want to say more because, again, long time since Great Mouse Detective, my memory is very, you know, very much you know blurry on how that all played out. But something I'm more aware of, or I remember more because I've seen it a couple times already, is... Batman the animated series, you know, when they had, you know, introduced the Clock King and his episode, the final fight between the Clock King and Batman was in Clock Tower and played out very similar to the climax of, you know, Cagliostro in that Clock Tower. But they kind of reverse it because... In Cagliostro, the fight ends outside on the hand, you know, on the hands of the clock. But in Batman, it starts at the hands of the clock as the mayor is kidnapped and tied up to, you know, the clock, and he's gonna be mean the same fate as Cagliostro does in the movie. 
unless Batman does it. And then Batman and Clock King, they take the fight into the Clock Tower. And Clock, Clock King really uses the Clock Tower to his advantage. Like, he kind of owns Batman in the Clock Tower. It was, it was honestly an unfair fight for Batman. But anyway, that aside, it, it does go to show you, though, that this how much this fight scene and this movie has influenced a lot of, you know, Western media as the time goes on. And my friend, he showed me that, you know, it's possible that one of the Nathan Drake Uncharted games made a reference to Cagliostro and the Clock Tower as he showed me that because I went to show Cal- Castle Cagliostro to my friend last summer when I was hanging out with him and he told me that it reminded him of a shot used in Uncharted and he actually pulled up the clip on YouTube and he showed me it. I will admit it does look very similar. It could be just a coincidence but I would reckon to believe that Uncharted was definitely referencing Cagliostro. It's it's very likely especially since I personally I haven't played through the Nathan Drake games, but I do know Nathan Drake is a thief. So it's understandable that he would probably t- or at least his developers would take inspiration from the greatest gentleman thief there is, Lupin the Third. Anyway, on to my fourth point of what I like, and that is the characters and their portrayals. Uh I think because okay a little context back in the 70s when this movie came out lupin was not so much gentlemanly like he was he was more of a scoundrel he wasn't like his grandpa yet he was very he you know as the movie he does suggest that he was once a womanizer and in some ways he still is but you know, depending on which version you watch of Lupin or read of Lupin. But, yeah, he was known to be not a good person. You know, he he went after ladies for his own lust, you know. But Lupin was still charming. He was very wild, I guess would be the best way to describe Lupin at that time. So, in this movie, though, Lupin is more mature. Uh he is, you know, like he does now portray, like in this movie, he portrays more of the gentleman thief. You know, he's doing things for actually good reasons or, you know, like he's more tamed. He's not really chasing after ladies. In fact, he goes, you know, at the end of the movie, Clarice tries to, you know, embrace him and give Lupin a kiss. And Lupin has to you know, he actually resists himself to fall into his, you know, old ways, and he doesn't kiss Clarice on the lips, but instead just on the forehead, you know, and he even, like, and Clarice was like, wait, let me go with you, and Lupin's like, no, kid, just, just trust me, you know, this is, this life ain't for you. And it just you know, kind of shows that Lupin has matured, you know, just like if you think of like manga Lupin or even early anime Lupin, he would have been like, oh, really? 
oh yeah, <laughs> he'd be all for it. But no, this one's more, a bit more riser. He's, you know, uh, I think Miyazaki said that he wanted to portray a Lupin that was, you know, has you know matured, you know, who has gone through some heists. You know, it's more in the latter years of his career, I get. Not in the way of, you know, it's old man Lupin, but in a way that he's, you know, he's older, he's wiser. He's just more mature and more tame. But other than Lupin, you know, again, whose portrayal is really great. The voice acting is really great, at least in the Japanese dub. Uh, I'm not going to comment on the English dub. There's actually two dub versions. Uh, the reason I'm not going to comment on them is because I don't watch them for this, you know, podcast. I've seen them both, but they're not super fresh in my memory. I will say David Hayter is a really great voice actor. That, <laughs> and funny enough, um, since I did mention David Hayter, I actually have a copy of Lupin, the Lupin the Third. Castle of Cagliostro storyboards. I got those off of Amazon. And I actually met David Hayter at a convention and I got him to sign the storyboard the storyboard book I have. So that's really cool, you know. At least, you know, I got you know, the book signed by Lupin the Third. Which I think that was really cool. But anyway, uh like I, I think the English dub is great, but again, I don't really want to say too much or just comment because I haven't seen the English dub super recently, but I've seen the movie enough times. I've seen the movie several times. Too many times. Too many times. That would be the best way. But again, back to the Japanese side, the recurring voice actors for Lupin and the gang, they do a great job. Um, Jigen still plays the Kind of the cool, cool man. But the weird thing is, he's he kind of is subdued a little bit. But I'll get to that later. Going on, he's still the stoic, you know, serious figure. Zenigata is a blast. Um, but I feel like he was a little tamed in this movie. But I liked it. And Fujiko, I really liked her character and. Also, to show the, again, back to Lupin, I think Lupin had the best portrayal in this movie, is if you look at the, you know, a lot of Lupin material, Lupin is constantly lusting over Fujiko. He really, you know, wants to, you know, like, he's really interested in Fujiko. But here, though, that's not really the case, you know. They acknowledge that Lupin and Fujiko had a thing, you know, for each other. And at the end, they, Lupin kind of kids, you know, with Fujiko as Fujiko kind of reveals, oh yeah, I stole the money mint or the some of the mints, you know, that they use for the counterfeit monies, you know. And Lupin's like, oh, hey, Fujiko, let, let me be your best friend, <laughs> you know. So, you know, that's more of just uh, Lupin trying to get the treasure. But early on, you know, when Fujiko and Lupin first meet, Lupin, you know, it's like, oh, 
he jokes around. It's like, oh, you know, we haven't seen each other for a year, and this is how you treat me. But Lupin does just straight up ditches Fujiko. You know, after he got, you know, Lupin has all the information he needs. He, he pulls a Batman, essentially. You know, that disappearing act, you know, where you turn around and then you look back and they're gone. Must have been the wind. But, yeah, they were really great. And the new characters, Clarice and Cagliostro, they did a fine job. I really like Clarice here because I think people... I think the general sentiment with Clarice is that she's a damsel in distress. You know, she has that archetype. But I'm going to say, give Clarice credit. And by the way, I'm just going to like double check. You know, I've been saying the character a couple times, but maybe I should just double check. Yeah, Clarice. Okay. As a character, Clarice, she does a lot to help out. You know, even though, yeah, she needs to be saved, she's not helpless. In fact, she saves Lupin a couple times in the clock tower alone. You know, she... She actively... I mean, at the beginning of the movie, we've seen her actually successfully escape the castle. Unfortunately, she just got chased down by the Count's men. And, but we see her at least be capable of, you know, fighting for herself. And she even risks her own life to save Lupin, you know, by like literally trying to be a human shield when Lupin was injured. It, Clarice is not just a sitting duck, is what I'm getting at. And the final point of what I like about this movie is the music. I, the music is absolutely great in this movie. The uh, I already talked about the opening credits, that song, how beautiful that is. And I also mentioned the da 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 I mean, it's just so you know, it's really good. You know, but other than those two, the soundtrack is still good. It gets you know serious when it needs to it gets bombastic and energetic when it has to you know the music also kind of like plays a little moments you know just kind of to emphasize an action that's really great and there's also just this general jazzy feel to it as well and Yuji Ono that's and that's the work of Yuji Ono and he's known to pretty much be the Lupin the third composer, so to speak. Like, if you look at his IMDb filmography, most of it is, like, it is all filled with Lupin the third. He's done other stuff, too, but Lupin the third is what he's known for. And, yeah, I, I can't see anyone else making a Lupin the third, you know, soundtrack that isn't Yuji Ono. I mean, I guess part one didn't have Yuji Ono, but... That's part one. Everything post part two. Well, let's say that. You know, so that's enough of the music. I'll just leave it at that. Music is great. But 
I'm going to just do, before I get to this, like, this kind of just a bonus, like, um, it's a bonus because it doesn't really have to do with the movie. It's, I'm going to just briefly touch upon the 4K Blu-ray. That is a legit good, you know, release. It's one of the best physical me like recent physical media releases I've ever seen because the mean all right I already said touched upon the vision you know video quality but again I just want to emphasize you will not get better quality anywhere else you know for this movie unless you get the film print itself and watch a 35 millimeter you know on a 35 millimeter projector maybe that but then again this just you could literally pause the movie and have each frame be a painting that frame off you know it is they did a really good job touching up on this film and making the you know the drawings crisp showing you know very crisp you know line work there's no pixelation it is vi- you know just on video alone it is the best release of this movie and i can't really say much i i haven't seen much of the g kids release of the studio ghibli movies but i'm gonna make the argument to say that you know visual quality alone this is probably one of the better releases of one of Hayao miyazaki's films just based on videos but even out of the video the audio you have literally seven seven different audio options you got both english dubs available you know you have a family-friendly version of the 2000 english dub you have the japanese uh dub but you also have that in mono and surround like stereo and then surround like there there's generally a lot of audio options and there's even an audio option to just have the soundtrack isolated that is something wild and you know you also got quite you know quite a bit of you know subtitle options as well you know you got one for just uh you know the songs and the signs you got one that's for the japanese version you got one for the hard of hearing so that's probably more towards the english dub you know but yeah you actually have one that's for you know hard of hearing which i appreciate accessibility in my media i think that's really cool uh, that's great you know that is absolutely great you know and more like more media needs to do that when it comes to you know physical releases i guess and you also have the option to just turn them off completely or just you know fine and then you get to the bonus feature, the extras. There's so many. Like, there's interviews. You get to watch the entire, you know, storyboards linked up with the movie. You know, it is so cool. Seriously, it, go get the 4K Blu-ray of Lupin the Third, Castle of Cagliostro. I promise you, you will not regret it. But, of course, I went all about how much I like this movie, about you know, a little over half an hour. It's time for my dislikes and criticisms. 
and I have five. But of course, though, these are probably more nitpicks because I, I will tell you my thoughts on this movie, my overall thoughts. But the first one is Goemon and Goemon's and Zangata's absence in the beginning of the movie. Like, okay, Zenigata is always a charm to have. Like, Zenigata is one of those required ingredients for a successful Lupin the Third movie. Uh, Goemon, the weird thing is with Goemon is that, okay, so at the opening, we see, like, very opening of the movie before the opening credits, you know, we see Lupin and Jigen steal from a casino, steal a bunch of, like, bags of money. But as they're driving away, when the casino security was going to chase them, we get to see, you know, their cars are cut in half. It shows that Goemon was there for that heist, but he wasn't with Lupin and Jigen. So it's weird. His absence is kind of weird. And also, again, Goemon's also a charm. Like, Goemon is MVP. You know, and he's also OP. I mean, he can literally cut anything in half. With his blade. But. And those are minor nitpicks. And when they do show up it's cool. Goemon though I feel like he didn't have much to do in this movie unfortunately. You know which was sad. But Zenigata he definitely made up for it. After his appearance. Uh, my next point is Jigen kind of gets sidelined in the second half. Like Jigen was with Lupin, you know, a lot in the first half of the movie as they're going down the Kalios draw and discovering the secret. But after Jigen and Lupin get separated, you know, when trying to infiltrate the castle, Jigen kind of just goes back to their hideout and Lupin continues forward. And yeah, we don't get to see too much of Jigen afterwards or doing super too much. I mean, he doesn't do nothing you know he still is involved with the action and stuff it's just it gets a little you know pushed to the sideline a little um next point is the villain count caliostro other than him looking like uh hang on let me look his name up i i want to make sure i say it correctly uh uh, you know, I'm just going to say his first name. I'm not even going to bother to look up his last name. But anyway, uh, other than Count Cagliostro at the end looking like Char from Gundam, he's just kind of a... He's a generic villain. He's he's not that intriguing as a villain. He's more He's just kind of the basic evil villain who wants to get the secret treasure doesn't really care about love you know he just kind of cares about wealth and power he's just kind of bland i mean to this movie's credit he doesn't need to be anything more but i don't know maybe just something a bit different or would have been nice but not essential this next point now this is this is big criticism this is a big one. It's the legitimately harsh seven and a half to five month production time forcing animators to crunch to get this movie out. Yeah, if you look up the production history of this movie, it very much had a very limited production. I mean, Hayao Miyazaki himself, he wrote, directed the storyboard. He did a lot of work in, 
you know, just by himself for this movie, you know. But even then, you know, so he, Miyazaki himself, he started on the movie seven and a half months, you know, before the movie released. But the animation itself didn't happen till five months before the movie's release date. That is, if you know even a little tiny bit how hard it is to anim, like, do hand-drawn animations, or just animation in general, you know five months is very, very small window of time, especially for a feature-length movie. You know, so... Have, you know, like, I couldn't find a source for this, but I remember hearing something a while ago that apparently animators would have even stay till, you know, s- sleep in the office, you know, t- just to get this movie done. Yeah, I, I just want to make this criticism out there because the problem with this is that it's n- this isn't just a thing that happened. In the anime industry back in the late 70s. No, it's a thing that's still going on. Where animators are still having to work ridiculous hours. With very low pay. And it's not okay. You know, that's the thing that really sucks about anime. Is that the animators are not treated, you know, fairly. They're not given the time or the money to it's not healthy for the animators to be constantly put in these like crunch situations and that the anime industry has produced. So this, I know this is kind of a little tangent, but you know, and this is more of a criticism to the anime industry in general, but I think it still applies to this movie because I feel even though I love this movie and I wouldn't probably change a thing about it, I could guarantee you more time in production would could have probably made a better movie. I think because uh, the thing was the movie was supposed to be in four, you know, have four parts, but the last part got scrapped and the third part had to be rewritten just to make the runtime, you know. So yeah, you know, I feel like if this movie got just Bit, you know, more time to the like enough time where the animators didn't have to crunch or Miyazaki didn't have to work on storyboards as the animation was starting. This movie could have been better, but it's still a great movie as we got. And like I said, it wouldn't change a thing. But anyway, now on to my final criticism. And what is my final criticism? Well, the fact that this movie is so good. That it started a formula for most Lupin movies afterwards. Yeah. See, this this is the problem with Castle Cagliostro. It is too good. It is is Lupin's second movie, and it's too good. And yeah, like I mentioned, it started a formula of Lupin the third movies. I mean, since Castle Cagliostro, literally Lupin movies, most of them, or the ones at least I've seen, they all introduced a new female protagonist that will never repeat, you know, reappear in a future installment of Lupin. They won't even get mentioned. They have a generic, you know, villain that they stop in the movie. They have this grand adventure heist where Lupin 
has to save the day, essentially. There's a formula that was started with this movie. And again, the problem is, is that it like again, Castle Cagliostro is great. And even the some of the future Lupin third movies that use this formula, they're great as well. But come on, it's twenty twenty one. It's over it's been over forty years this movie is like uh since came out, and yet the latest movie, Lupin the Third, the first, still uses this formula. It's I'm just saying Maybe change things up a bit. Just a bit. Don't just maybe don't have the female protagonist, you know. But yeah, so anyway, what are my overall thoughts? Well, I'm gonna be honest here. This is my favorite Hayao Miyazaki movie. Now, is it the best Miyazaki movie? No, absolutely not. I will definitely like if somebody said. You know, like Spirit Away, Castle in the Sky, Nazca Valley in the Wind, you know, Princess Mononoke, Totoro. They said, well, this is a better movie than Castle Cagliostro. I'll probably like, yeah, I I think you're right. It, those are better movies than Ca- Castle Cagliostro. But this is still my favorite Miyazaki movie. I, I, like, yeah, it's probably the most flawed, you know, Miyazaki movie. Like how Miyazaki movie, or one of the most flawed, you know, out there. But to me, the movie's just so fun. I can't ignore, you know, the movie's general sense of having fun, having an adventure. It's just such a refreshing take. And it's the one, and you know what? Maybe it's, I will admit, maybe it partly is because I have a bias towards, you know, Lupin the Third, as I'm a. I really like Lupin the Third material. You know, I and I really love the characters of Lupin the Third and Gang. You know, I I will fully admit that bias might be influencing my opinion, but I will also say this is the one Hayao Miyazaki movie I've watched the most. I I don't even know how many times I've seen this. I couldn't even count. I've seen this movie. <clears throat> On Blu-ray, on the 4K Blu-ray, I've seen both English dubs. You know, I've seen this movie in theaters. I like seriously, it's my favorite. And again, not the best, but definitely my favorite. Anyway, so those are my thoughts on Castle Cagliostro, but it's time for me to find a review. Uh, a very, very negative review. One that says that this is the worst Miyazaki movie. Well, my friends, that's where we go to IMDb for. And couldn't get a 1 out of 10 star review, but I got 2 out of 10 star review. So that's probably the closest we're going to get. And I think this is, this has enough bad faith in it. Or just... Enough negativity to make light on. And yes, this is John versus Critics. And the title of this IMDb user review is Dumb, 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 Dumb. It was written actually July of 2021. And this review is written by none other 
than Dr. Phil. So what does Dr. Phil have to say about Castle of Cagliostro? Well, here we go. Dr. Phil says, you know, I, I haven't seen really Dr. Phil recently. I haven't seen any of, my cli any of his like clips or anything. I, I know he's like, he's not that good of a person, probably. But I, I the thing is, I kind of want to try to mimic his voice. But um, let me try his Texan accent. <clears throat> or if I can remember it right. <laughs> I've seen most of Miyazaki films, but somehow always missed this one. Last week, I saw it, it was number 20 on the list of best animations of all time. Voted on at the 2003 Laputa Animation Festival. Eight positions ahead of Spirited Away, which I think is Miyazaki's best. So I finally watched it. Well, it's good, you know, you know, he watches it. And I guess, you know, I'm not the only one who thinks, you know, who likes Castle Cagliostro better than Spirited Away? Well, what what does Doctor Phil? What is Doctor Phil's take though? That's the important part. Well, Doctor Phil says, "My take: Miyazaki has gone a lot better since then. The villain is less rounded than Snidely Snidely Whiplash. Who is Snidely Whiplash? Uh, let me look it up." Snidely Whiplash. Oh, he's, uh... Okay, he's like a basic, you know, Dudley Do-Right villain, I guess. I've... I've never seen Dudley Do-Right, so... But he's the mustache-twirling type of uh, villain. But anyway... Also, weirdly, when I googled that up, a picture of Dick Dastardly popped up as well. He's not snidely whiplash, but anyway, Doctor Phil, what what's your prognosis? The princess is as bland as Princess Peach from Mario Brothers, but more annoying. Hey, hey, Doctor Phil, I'm gonna have to disagree with you on that. See, well, first of all, we don't allow Princess Peach slander on this podcast. All right, if you read, uh, was it the Mario Brothers? I don't have the comic on me, but it's the, uh, I think, like, Super Mario Adventures or something like that. It it was the comic that was released on Nintendo Power. If you see Princess Peach in that comic, holy frick, she is a badass. She is 100% badass. She is the one that charges after Bowser. She's the one that actually saves herself from getting kidnapped initially, you know, in the story. Like, just as a side note, go read that comic. It's seriously funny, and Princess Peach is a fucking badass. Like, there's a panel where literally you see fire in her eyes. It is so epic. But anyway, other than that, I just went on and said that Clarice was freaking cool. You know, risking her life, you know, to save Lupin. Actually saving Lupin. So, you know... Like, she's, again, she's not the most, you know, interesting character, but she, but she's not even annoying. Like, she's badass. I'm going to put Clarice on the badass, you know, roster. Anyway, but what does Dr. Phil think of Lupin himself? Well, 
Lupin is supposed to be a super genius and the best in the world, yet rushes into every situation with no plan, relying entirely on a moronic overconfidence and is and the certainty that the laws of physics don't apply to him. I mean, Lupin, the Lupin and physics, they tendly, the physics tends to not apply to Lupin, you know, in most versions of Lupin the Third, but, um, I think Lupin Third, he is portrayed, you know, as very smart. Like, it's not that he always has a plan, it's the fact, so the thing about Lupin's genius in this movie is that he is adaptive. If he had a plan for everything, but the plan goes wrong and he couldn't adapt to it, that wouldn't make him very genius. Like, would it? No, it's the fact that he could literally, you know, adapt on the fly. He is overconfident for a reason because he knows he's going to get out of it. He already, you know, is just like, you know, he's Lupin. <laughs> That's the best way to describe him. But just a real quick note. I forgot to mention this in my like, so sorry, Dr. Phil, I need to interrupt you for a second. But if you allow me to, I just want to say I really like how Lupin's gear is very handcrafted in this movie. It's not super, it's not high tech. It's very low tech, actually. But I really just love how handmade everything Lupin's gear is from his, you know, belt, that belt crank that lowers his, you know, grappling hook watch down. It's really cool. Really cool shit. But anyway. Dr. Phil continues on by saying. The only potentially interesting characters are Goemon and Fujiko. The only interesting thing done with any character is making. Spoiler. Inspector Zenigata briefly team up with Lupin. But instead of using this to give Zenigata some death. It callously thrown away at the end. When Lupin's heroism has no impact on Zenigata, who returns to his unthinking hatred of an obsession with capturing Lupin. Alright. Alright. Dr. Phil, you're supposed to be a psychiatrist, am I right? And by the way, I'm sorry. Just a heads up, I apologize for my poor Dr. Phil you know, impression. If I've seen a clip of him recently, I could probably pull it off, but... I'm not doing that in the middle of recording. But let me get you on the psyche of Zenigata. Zenigata's entire purpose in life is chasing Lupin. And the thing is, yeah, you're expecting this to change the status quo, but the status quo is Lupin is still a thief. And Zenigata is still a cop who is, you know, has to catch him. The thing is, Lupin's past, you know, crimes of thief, you know, being a thief didn't, you know, stop. Or, like, his past, you know, it's like, well, he's, he's still, Zenigata still needs to capture him for that. But even then, Lupin, at the end of the movie, goes back. Back to being a thief. So in turn. Zenigata. Still has to chase Lupin. And you've seen. And like. 
and this movie's like review, I should say, is very recent. So it's I'm going to bring up some recent Lupin material, Lupin the Third Part Four, where we see Zenigata finally capture, you know, Lupin. I mean, it's not the first time he's captured Lupin, but this one, it's it seems more like Lupin can't get out, and we get to it gets a very good episode in Part Four, where we see Zenigata being the only one guarding Lupin's hell and this very isolated, you know, island. It's just you know, like literally, Zenigata does not hate Lupin. He probably loves the guy. He's Lupin's the only man that gives Zenigata purpose and enjoyment in his life. To be perfectly honest, Zenigata needs Lupin. He needs to chase Lupin. That's Zenigata. And we could talk about, you know, what Zenigata could do to get away from his obsession. But, you know, but really, you have to analyze, you know, that that is Zenigata's character. So, Dr. Phil, I'm kind of disappointed, you know, about that since you're supposed to have been, you know, a psychiatrist, you know, or at least know about psychology. I'm not sure about your credentials. I'm questioning your credentials now. Maybe what people are saying are right you know, are right about you. Anyway, to continue on, Dr. Phil says, There's no tension, a common weakness in Miyazaki films, but especially bad here since it is supposed to be a Bond-like film. In this case, it results not having, you know, it's a, sorry. In this case, it results from not having no action, but from having lots of action with, which is merely, Amusing, because it's been made clear in the first sequence that no harm can ever come to the heroes. The plot is your basic rescue the princess from the baddie, and plays out like a video game moving from puzzle to puzzle. And do we need... Okay, so, no tension. Really? Mm. I would argue there's tension. I would argue there, there are moments of times, you know, where Lupin, you know, almost died. Fake. Other than the big climactic, you know, big, you know, part at like uh, end of the second act, I should say, where Lupin gets shot, you know. Other than that, there's there is tension, you know. You know, there's not the look. In hindsight, yeah, everybody knows Lupin's going to get away. It's more of the, how is he going to get away? You know, it's like watching an escape artist. There is naturally tension. You wonder, how is this escape artist going to get out? How are they going to do it? It's not so much that, even though, yeah, we know they're probably going to do it, but we want to know how. That's where the tension comes from. You know, is when we don't know how it's going to happen. Even when we know how, it's still entertaining. <laughs> and besides, you know, uh, you know, the thing is, you know, not every movie needs to be telling a very rich thematic story. It doesn't need to be saying, you know, it, not every movie needs to have a message. 
some movies can be just fun action rides. This movie wants to be a fun action ride. And it does so really well. It does what it, you know, what it tends to do. But what, what does Dr. Phil have to say about the ending, though? Let's find out. The ending, here's the spoiler, is a head-slappingly stupid, why would anyone build an impregnable, impregnable castle 200 feet downstream of a damned up, uh, up lake, you know, damned up lake with a floodgate you can open at any time to destroy the castle? Well, first of all, the castle... Was it? I think the basement got flooded, but... Sorry, I... It was starting to get late last night. I know the clock tower got destroyed. I don't remember if the castle itself got destroyed. No, but anyway, jokes... The thing is... It it wasn't exactly an easy on and off switch now, was it, Doc? You know, we saw what happened to the villain when he did it. You know, he kind of died. He got to, uh, smushed by the two hands when the clock struck noon. It was kind of, it was kind of, uh, that little crunch sound. Yeah, that, that was a little disturbing. But yeah, he had to literally climb the outside of the clock tower in order for that to happen. I'm just saying. And again, I don't think the castle itself destroyed. It was the clock tower that got destroyed. And who knows? Maybe that wouldn't have happened if there wasn't a fight in the castle. Because I, I don't remember. You know, as I recall, Dr. Phil, in the fight, Lupin used a gear to close off an entrance. And that gear... Probably could have been, you know, used to not destroy the castle. I mean, the cat, that gear that Lupin left loose during the battle could have done some serious damage. So maybe, just maybe, it wasn't just the dam being opened up. Maybe that had something to do with that. But even then, again, look what the villain had to do to order to activate the damn thing. <laughs> Pun intended, I guess. Well, pun was not intended, but I decided to make it intended. <laughs> sorry, sorry, but... Anyway, Dr. Phil's rant seems to end with... The film seems to have no thematic content at all. The main source is source of interest is watching Lupin jump around like a goofball. There are some nice visuals. The castle, the final showdown between Lupin and... Was his name on the hands of the tower clock? That's about it. I don't think that's correct, Doc. Also, was his name, but I just just to let you know, Doc. It's literally in the title. It's literally in the title of the movie. But anyway, thank you, Doctor Phil, for that wonderfully entertaining review. Uh, but I believe that is the, all the time we have for this episode. Going a little bit over an hour. Uh, but anyway, I want to say, do my whole social media round. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, on YouTube. Subscribe there, please. I'm going to be 
My plan is to post more content on YouTube sometime soon. By hopefully by the time this you know podcast episode actually comes out, there should hopefully start to be more content rolling out. But yeah, subscribe there. This podcast is available on YouTube. It's also available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And do me the biggest favor and have a fantastic day. Take care.